0: Coming up on Stew Does America, I'll get the real story on Donald Trump's Supreme Court nomination from First Liberty's Jeremy Dice. The New York Times has published what it claims is Donald Trump's tax returns, I'm not sure anyone really cares about this anymore, but I will say it does raise an interesting question about how the times got their hands on them. We'll get into that. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel as soon as you can. That's where you'll find my special live coverage of the first presidential debate tomorrow. Uh, So it's our show here, 8 p.m. Eastern, then the debate, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's gonna be a blast. Uh, And then following my YouTube stream, you're gonna wanna go over to Blaze TV. Uh, Make sure you check that out. Myself, uh, Glenn Beck, Pat Gray, Steve Dace, and more on our special post debate coverage. Just head to blazetv.com slash and be sure to use the promo code stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. We knew it was coming. We knew it would be ugly, but damn Democrats, seriously, you're really gonna go all out on this? Gosh, it's just agonizing. Let's do the attack on Amy Coney Barrett. Stu does America. This observation of inarguable fact might seem a little off topic to start the show on such a big news day, but I'm going to do it anyway. Boston University sucks, it's terrible. Boston University should be begging to rise to the level of DeVry Institute. In fact, I would much rather proudly display my degree from the well-received Beck University. Mm -hmm, Remember that? It had a crest and everything. It was pretty awesome. Way too much chocolate milk at the drinking parties, I will say, but it was a lot of fun. So why am I beating up on Boston University? Well, first of all, they produced America's dumbest college graduate, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Boston University should create a rapid response team that springs into action every time someone mentions that AOC graduated from BU and accuse them of lying and then sue them and then commit arson on their homes. If AOC can graduate from your university, you don't have a university. You have an affirmative action program for morons that includes some buildings. That's what you have. Also at Boston University is media darling Ibram X. Kendi. He's the founder and director of Boston University's Center for Anti-Racist Research, which is a thing. It's also as completely made up as Beck University, which at least featured sultry videos of David Barton. The reason I bring up all of this is that Ibram Kendi taking the lead for the Democratic Party in their apparent strategy to destroy the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. The Notorious ACB. By the way, you can get your Notorious ACB t-shirt right now. Go and pick one up. Piss off all your liberal friends. It's worth it. The Notorious ACB shirt is available now at StuDoesMerch.com. So the left seems to have already started to realize that calling ACB too Catholic, it's probably not a good approach. Now, they're gonna to try to call her a racist. This is typical, it's expected, of course. Anyone who likes the Constitution or is associated with a Republican in any way is a racist. But the by the book attack of Democrats is a little harder to execute against Amy Coney Barrett. Here she is with her family. If you're listening on audio podcasts, I will describe it for you. It's your typical smiling family photo. And, of course, if you're obsessed with race, you'll probably notice that two of her children are black, adopted from Haiti. Now, of course, I guess you could be a racist and adopt two black children from an impoverished nation. But why? Why would you? Doesn't seem like the kind of like most worth. I I, I can't even describe what kind of terrible idea this is. It's like the crappiest racist idea you've ever heard. It just sounds like you're bad at racism if you were to do such a thing. Luckily, we have Boston University here to help us out. I do want to add just this little bit of extra spice to this story. Jenny Beth Martin from Tea Party Patriots tweeted out a picture of what she thought was Amy Coney Barrett with her two kids. She since deleted the tweet because it was actually her sister. Now, is this some big, terrible mistake? I mean, it's her sister. They kind of look alike but this was used to prove her racism this tea party lady just tweeted a picture of someone with any two black people because she thinks black people look alike that was essentially the tone of it all <laughs> the greatest part was then ibram Kendi responded and also didn't realize it wasn't the right kids does that make him a racist the answer to that question of course is yes but for other reasons. Here's what he said when he saw that picture. Some white colonizers adopted black children. They civilized these savage children in the superior ways of white people, while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial, while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. Apparently, Boston University does not offer a degree in subtlety. The obvious accusation here is that two kids that Amy Coney Barrett had, no, they had a family. They're part of the family. They've raised. They've loved them. They brought them into their home. Well, they were just props. This was echoed by tons of people on the left for various reasons and various versions of kind of the same thing. Stealing kids from Haiti doesn't absolve you from your racism. In fact, it is evidence of your racism. What a shock this is. After being called out for also not realizing it was a picture of the wrong kids, Ibram Kendi said, And whether this is Barrett or not is not the point. It's a belief that too many white people have. If they adopt a child of color, then they can't be racist. After thousands more called him out, he looked for an exit, quote, I'm challenging the idea that white parents of kids of color are inherently not racist, and the bots completely change what I'm saying to white parents of kids of color are inherently racist. These live and fake bots are good at their propaganda. Let's not argue with them. You see, no real people have a problem with me calling someone racist for adopting black children. It's only bots, aha. I'm surprised he didn't blame Russia like every other leftist. Here's the thing. Ibram Kendi of Boston University is a racist. He is exactly what he claims to be against. And his book, Targeted at Babies, is for sale at your local Target. Go pick up a copy now. Why do I say he's a racist? Because he just aligns all too closely with people like David Duke and Richard Spencer on these things to be ignored. These are the arguments that someone who is against interracial adoption... What year is this again? I can't even keep track of this. This is how so much of the supposed anti-racism movement keeps aligning with your, I don't know, run-of-the-mill white supremacists. Remember who Candy is. He is a man who outwardly advocates for discrimination. From his best-selling book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, quote, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. He's telling you that we should discriminate against the people who created this system, a.k.a. white people. Again, there's no degree at Boston University for subtlety. He is outwardly against the construct of racism as understood by Martin Luther King. Screw content of character. It's color of skin that matters. Idealizing the concept of colorblindness uh, is offensive to left-wing crazy people like Kendi. Quote, the most threatening racist movement is not the alt-right's unlikely drive for a white ethnostate, but the regular Americans drive for a race neutral one. Sounds a bit nutty, But for Kendi, it's true. A race-neutral society is more threatening to him. A race-neutral society rejects his nonsense for what it is, nonsense from beginning to end. And a race-neutral society is not an ethno-state, which, while great for humanity, leaves you no room to sell children's books about how evil white people are at your local target. And while Kendi exclusively is pictured in super-professor-looking glamour shots... His book is just garbage. It reads as if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was trying to sound intellectual while explaining racism after three Bud Light seltzers. Listen to this quote. Uh, Picture Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying this. The saying, uh, black people can't be racist, reproduces the false duality of racist and not racist promoted by white racists to deny their racism. The guy who wrote that sentence is one of the most celebrated authors in America. Let that sink in and then wash it off before the stupid infects you too deeply. Quick sidebar here, by the way. This is a great side effect to the utter stupidity of Kendi's writings. He basically lectures everyone uh, about how we don't call people racist enough, which is a magnificent complaint. Or at least we don't call people racist correctly. One of his big complaints is how we keep using the wrong words for racism like you and I probably think alike. We would make fun of the term microaggression. Right. Well, Candy doesn't like that term either. It's not microaggression. It's racism. Same thing with calling black Republicans Oreos or Uncle Toms. We should be calling those people's those people racists. And this ridiculous nonsense makes his writing so incredibly repetitive, it's jaw-dropping. It launches him into these endless bouts of circuitous word salad. Listen to this sentence again. The saying black people can't be racist reproduces the false duality of racist and not racist promoted by white racists to deny the racism. This book won awards. He's got a sentence with 22 words. Five of those words are racist. It's hard to make sense when 23% of your words are the word racist. Actually, 100% of his words are racist, but that's kind of another, another topic. Let me leave you with Glenn Greenwald. He's no conservative, as you may know. He's willing to call out, I think, real hatred on either side when he sees it, though. In response to Abram Kendi, who did I mention is an author of children's books that you can get at Target? Greenwald writes adoption is one of the most beautiful things that exists in the world and while like everything including biological families it can foster abuse casually insinuating that for adoptive parents is despicable and yes uh, Ibram Kendi that that matters it matters that you use the wrong picture. These vile attacks are a perfect distillation of contemporary liberal discourse. It doesn't matter what you do in your life, how you treat people, what actions you take. To be anti-racist, you must recite the right phrases and properly preen and posture. And, of course, buy Dr. Kendi's book. I can't even fathom how rotted your soul has to be to attack people's families like this for petty political gain. We endured it a lot in Brazil. And what always leaves me amazed is the sociopathic contempt for the kids involved. Even if you hate Amy Coney Barrett, why malign her family? It's a good question, and one that the media will not answer, at least until after this nomination, because there's a goal to achieve here: stopping Amy Coney Barrett at any cost. There's no time for basic human kindness when that is your goal. That's why Ibram Kendi will face no real repercussions for his disgusting treatment of her family. He'll keep making appearances on the Today Show and Oprah and be called a genius. For what it's worth, if you want to hear me rant endlessly about Ibram Kendi, you can listen to an episode of my wife's podcast, Lisa Page Made Me Do It, on iTunes. The episode is called, Is Your Baby Racist? And spoiler alert, yes, your baby is very racist. Does hey, fatso. Oh, sorry, I was seeing my reflection. Uh, intermittent fasting is a way to stop being a fatso. Um, it, you know, it's been kind of getting bigger and bigger. It's been growing in popularity. You probably have heard a little bit about it. Uh, Fasting doesn't sound good to me, frankly. Uh, I like to just eat all day, not eat none of the day. However, intermittent fasting is different. It's not just like starving yourself or anything like that. They have a really great system for this at Fast Blast. This is the way you can drop those pounds fast. Like I'm saying you get on the scale one day, you do it the next day, the next day, the next day. Each day, you see a little bit of improvement. It's not like these old diets where like, oh, you can, gain, you can lose up to one and a half pounds a week. And then if you just do that consistently for years and years, you're going you're to look really good. I mean, fast Blast makes it happen fast, which I like. Um, fasting is really effective uh, and if you do it with a fast blast smoothie, it's actually not, it's not, it's not as torturous as you think it might sound, it's actually pretty great because you get the benefit and you get into that rhythm and you feel really good, plus you're having these smoothies which are really uh, delicious and they can fill you up just having uh, you know, one every couple of hours, combine it with lots of liquids and it'll keep you satisfied. We always tell you to do your own homework, so I urge you to learn more about intermittent fasting at fastblast.com slash blaze. The slash blaze part is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. So get started today with Fast Blast for a healthier and smaller you. It's fastblast.com slash blaze. Happy to welcome back to the program Jeremy Dice, a special counsel for the First Liberty Institute and host of First Liberty Briefing podcast, Jeremy, you're in studio. This is crazy. I don't know what to do with myself.
1: Uh, me either. I like. I have a, actually, my body connected
0: to my head and yeah. brain and everything, so it's, it's a great time. It is. You're used to being a disembodied guest. Yeah. Uh, through COVID, uh, here you are in person. Is it weird? Have you left the house other than this interview?
1: Uh, a couple times. Okay. You know, I had to actually take the pajama pants off to come over here and, mm. and do this whole thing, but. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I, I don't know how good I'm going to be because I'm used to being disembodied at this point, <laughs> having someone else's body. So it really, viewers should just look from here up and right. it, this should be it. Should yeah. be fine. Everything, I'm not responsible for anything below this.
0: There you go. <laughs> um, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, big announcement uh, this weekend. Uh, she was, you know, sort of the name that had been tossed around coming into this anyway. It was tossed around during Kavanaugh. Um, what do we think about Amy Coney Barrett?
1: Look, I, I think she's got a fairly good record of things, right? It, it, when you look at what we're looking for, uh, a, a justice that is going to be more like Scalia, it's hard to get someone who not only clerked with Scalia, but clearly learned from Scalia and is, has learned how to be an originalist, a textualist. Someone who says, you know, words have actual public meaning at the time that they're adopted. Let's make sure we follow that guidance when we're yeah. going to the court. These are good things. And, and that's not a... I mean, let's go back only just a couple decades when this was not even a thing. Justice Scalia kind of pioneered this idea of originalism, you know, readopting what the founding fathers had put in place in the beginning, but uh, it was out of vogue for that to be the case. So to have someone through her opinions, through the speeches that she's given, through her, uh, her academic work that she's done, present this idea of originalism, not only as a passing fancy, but as a proper way of interpreting the constitution, a constitution that actually means something to her, I think is of, of vital importance and will be a, a good look for the future in what is probably the first time since 1934 or so that we've had a reliably conservative majority on the Supreme Court finally.
0: <laughs> Fingers crossed on that one. Because uh, it's interesting because I think people, generally speaking, hear she's either the greatest Supreme Court pick in human history or she's responsible for The Handmaid's Tale. Those are like, the, that's the both sides of what you're hearing from the mainstream media. What can you get from the concept of like, look, if you're looking back at her actual record, does she have a long record? I mean, she's relatively new as a judge, right? What should we think as people who don't understand all the legal mumbo jumbo? Does she have a legitimate record? She does have a legitimate record, obviously, and she's signed on to a number of really
1: good religious liberty cases, of something I care very much about, yeah. of course. Uh, she hasn't uh, authored that many direct opinions, but joining the opinions are just as good, basically saying, hey, I endorse the reasoning in here, sure. and so we could expect that that's what the reasoning is going to be elsewhere. There's a strike I would have against her on an issue of educational choice in terms of one case that she she reasoned through, and, and that maybe that's one I like to see a little bit differently, but on the issues that we care about at First Liberty and, and generally through the conservative movement, I think she's she's demonstrated a commitment to following where the Constitution leads, not going towards where the outcome she wants it to be. That may be more important than any opinion that she signed on to. Now, what will the future look like with that? You know, all bets are off for right now. But. Based upon where she's, she's put her time, uh, the things that she said publicly, the scholarship that she's written. And, and don't forget, we don't only have just opinions, but we have things that she's written, academic journals and, and lectures that she's given, classes she's agreed to yep. teach. You know, these are all very important bits and snatches of things. Where she puts her time when she's not on the bench or in the classroom, these are all important things that go into c- creating who the whole orbed person is. And the person, the, the image we're coming out of that with. Is someone who deeply loves the Constitution, is committed to it, and is willing to abide by words that have an original public meaning, that is a far cry from the person who will have occupied her seat before her if she is indeed confirmed.
0: Yes. Uh, and that can only be a good thing right now for the country. This one's hard to screw up. I mean, like, last time we're talking about Antonin Scalia. You're replacing somebody like that. You're replacing uh, even Kennedy, who, you know, at least middle of the road. You could screw that one up. It's hard to screw up Ginsburg. It's almost impossible to find someone who, again, God rest her soul, who would be worse than Ginsburg on on the Supreme Court, in my opinion. Um, I went into this, as I always do, when a Supreme Court choice comes up, which is as a conservative, I assume we're going to screw this up. Like, something's going to go wrong. We're going to put someone in who is uh, secretly a socialist, who's never looked at the Constitution. Like, this seems to happen to us routinely. So I was very nervous about it. And so I went around to talk to everybody that, uh, you know, that I could think of. You were, unfortunately, last on the list. I hope that doesn't bother you. I expect it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I wanted to talk to everybody I knew who really knows this stuff. And you were you're one of the top ones on the list. And I wanted to ask everybody the same question, like, should I be freaking out? Is this just me being irrational because I'm used to failure (laughs) or is this because she doesn't have that long record? She's, you know, obviously on the younger side for justice, which could be a really good thing. Um, It seemed to be from people like Mike Lee and Josh Hammer and Amy Swear over at Heritage, people seem to be really positive, and they, I, I did not see a lot of pushback on her, a lot of worry. They, people seem to think she's pretty solid. Yeah, and I think you have to add to that list a guy
1: like Robbie George from Princeton, who's oh, very right. high yeah. on, on Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, and again, the people that she chooses to associate with, being people like that, Justice Scalia. Remember, Justice Scalia would have clerks, and one would always be the devil's advocate clerk in his, his class. She was not that person. In fact, she was one mm-hmm. of his favorite clerks. And, and before that, he she, she clerked for uh, Judge Silberman of the D.C. Circuit, who was a renowned conservative feeder to the Supreme Court. Uh, for many clerks in, in that era. Uh, and so having gone through that path, you know, she went back to Notre Dame Law School. You know, she didn't go to Stanford or, uh, Stanford to be okay, but I'm thinking like a USC or, or UC Berkeley or something like that. She chooses to go back to Notre Dame to, to be a, a professor. She, she was a professor at George Washington Law School before going there. So again, I think the time that she has dedicated on those issues speaks a lot about who the person is. And then you add in there things that are, um, you know, maybe not qualifications, but given us a picture of who this person is, uh, you know, she is clearly devoutly religious, she takes her Catholic faith very seriously, uh, and that has a certain level of grounding that comes with that, I, I think, uh, so much so that it, it was so obvious that Diane Feinstein couldn't help herself but say that her dogma lives loudly within her as if that was some sort of insult. Mm. Uh, well, I think that uh, Coney Barrett has responded very quietly and but very resolvedly to say, no, I, I, I just believe what I believe. You know, she's done things like adopted several children from from Haiti. Not everybody in the country does that, and as we're finding out, apparently not everybody on the left likes it that Mm -hmm. she's done that kind of thing. But this is the kind of real person she is. You know, this isn't someone who is a Yale or a Harvard. We've got that much diversity on the Supreme Court right now. She's a Notre Dame Law graduate. Uh, She's not from the Acela Corridor. She's from middle America in Indiana. Uh, there's some quality there that is worth thinking about there. Again, these aren't exactly qualifications for office, but they certainly give us a picture of who the person is. First Liberty Institute, what we've done is gone out and look at the record. And there's a record for us to examine with Amy Coney Barrett, and it's a record of a commitment towards originalism, to a proper understanding of stare decisis and a number of things like that, that give us some fair level of confidence that we're going to have an originalist coming out of this, this mix.
0: I mean, a fair level of confidence is good. What I want is 100% certainty, and I know you can't grant that, Jeremy. But I, I, I do feel like there is this thing that we do as conservatives, which is instead of looking at the record, right, and examining that for the 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 type of uh, person who's going to look at the Constitution and actually judge the Constitution by and and each law as what it was meant, you know, the textualist, the originalist. Um, that is one thing, right? The other thing is, here's someone with a good profile that we think can get through without too much trouble. And I understand here, maybe more than other other times, it, it is somewhat important to think that way because of the timeline. I mean, it's just not a lot of time to get this done before the election. So you have to pick somebody who you think you can get through. This is not necessarily maybe the time to pick the most controversial nominee you can figure, find out. Um, but. Is it the right thing to do to sit back and say, okay, well, let's see if we can find someone who we think will skate through this process with as much ease as possible? Or is, is it we should go for not not uh i can't remember what you said a, a good deal of confidence whatever lawyers speak fair level of confidence fair level of confidence whatever you know do we go for more than that or is, is this the right pick
1: well number one I, I disagree sort of the premise there right there's mm-hmm. there's clearly indication from the senate that there this is not someone who's going to skate through with 99 votes no. so 97 <laughs> votes like justice Ginsburg did right, right. Uh, this is someone that is going to have opposition and already does mm-hmm. and and i think unfair uh, opposition in the senate as well uh, and then throughout the rest of the kind of political intelligentsia that's out there uh, on top of all that you've got uh, other issues like oh let me let's just address the timeline for one thing right i wish this was more like salmon and chase and who abraham lincoln nominated and then confirmed on the same day you know that, that'd be a great little way to be going about things you go to justice stevens who was nominated and confirmed in 19 days ginsburg herself was nominated and confirmed in a span of 42 days i think it is so uh, and Sandra Day O'Connor was in 33 days, I think. So we're right between, sitting here today, right between uh, that, uh, between Ginsburg and O'Connor in terms of time to the election day. So th- clearly we can do it. It can be done. The fact that she's been through the vetting process once previously, I think actually helps on things. But beyond all that, uh, yes, there's opposition that's out there. And the fact that she's receiving opposition, I think ought to give you more encouragement, I hope, yeah. to say, okay, this is the, this is a person that is perhaps worth our support of things. Uh, my only reservation is to say I can't, give you 100% satisfaction on on things is because I just don't know what the future is. If I were, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. I would be you know, uh, betting on the futures and things like that because I know what's going to come in the future. No, the the reality is is that nobody knows exactly what someone's going to be in the future. Uh, Perhaps we have a different Kavanaugh today because of what he went through in the Senate, much like I think we may have a different Thomas today because of what he went through with Joe Biden in the Senate back in in the 90s. Uh, I think those men and, and perhaps even Coney Barrett will now be shaped by the experience that they They have going through the confirmation process and understanding the moment in which we find ourselves in. Who knows? Let's talk
0: about the confirmation process for a second. The timeline is tight. It's freaking me out. I got to be honest with you. I mean, we're waiting. It's 16 days before they're going to actually have the hearings. I think it's October 12th, so 16 days from whenever I read that. Um, Then the process goes forward. This is going to end. They say the vote is going to be something like if everything goes right, October 28th or 29th. I mean, we are within a week of the election. There is no room for error here. No, there's not. But it, it's completely doable for one thing. Obviously, I just went through the timeline of the, all the other ones. And it's not like we're. Uh... What are they trying to stop? They weren't trying to stop all those other ones. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg got 97 votes. It was easy to go quick with her. Right. This is they don't they want to stop this with at all means necessary. And all they really need to do is delay it like a week and a half.
1: Well, oh, they—they'd actually have delayed all the way to January when the president well, was out. Right? Do you, so do you trust?
0: Do you trust the senators who are on the bubble here to hold out if, <laughs> if God forbid, the election goes the wrong way? They're not going to hold on to this. No, no,
1: I think you're probably right on all that. Look, it's not like we're Dwight D. Eisenhower either who made a recess appointment to the Supreme Court. And mm-hmm. that guy was uh, Bill Brennan was affirmed, confirmed rather, in, I think, March later that in 1957, served until 1990. So, I mean, one of the most liberal people that were on the Supreme Court mm-hmm. was appointed by recess appointment for pity's sake. So mm-hmm. we're in a totally different construct than back in 1956, oh, yeah. thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I think those are all legitimate concerns to be having right here. And I can't really pat you on the back and say they're there. It's going to be OK. because why, why did I bring you here. I don't understand. (laughs) You brought the wrong guy for sympathy. That doesn't (laughs) happen with Jeremy Dice, but it can be done. Um, Perhaps having had Kavanaugh go through such a horrible confirmation process, if anything positive that can come out of that beyond the fact that we've got Justice Kavanaugh sitting on the bench today, perhaps it's just that they've fired one too many bullets then. They really can't do that again here. Will they try? I think absolutely they will try to con- to, to slow the process down and prevent someone like this, f- this seat especially, from going this way towards someone who I think is probably more likely than not a very strong conservative on things. Uh, but I think they're going to have a hard time winning that over the people. Don't forget we also have this pre- little presidential election thing going along I've heard of this, right now. Yeah. now. I don't think Joe Biden really wants a lot of attention brought to Senate confirmation hearings. How many times will his interactions with Clarence Thomas and Robert Bork. Mm. In fact, if the vote comes on the 28th, I think it is, I think that's just two days away from the anniversary of Robert Bork being voted down in the Senate. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's gonna keep on, that little political thing is beyond just the, whether or not he can, but the president can or not, or whether the sh- Senate should or not, that's a separate question. The optics alone are gonna be influential
0: towards the presidential election. What does it say that Joe Biden will not release a list? I mean, I if anything comes out of the Trump era, the fact that like the presidential candidate releases a list of Supreme Court nominees, I think is a great thing. I I love that precedent. I hope it continues. Joe Biden's resisting it. I mean, he can't do this. Is it because he wants to please the left and doesn't want to scare the right? Is it because he doesn't want to upset the left uh, and he wants to play to the middle? What, what is going on? Why wouldn't he do this? I, you know, I, I have no
1: idea. My, my, my suspicion is that anybody, I guess his words have been that he didn't want to make anybody a target or something. <laughs> all right, all right why would they be a target exactly here? I mean, are, like, do you guys do that? Does the left do that to the mm-hmm. right ca- candidates? Maybe the, mm, that, that's a curious thing there, but I, I, I suspect that if he did put names out there, that there would be an actual investigation going on about who these people are. We would do the exact same thing we've done with, conserv- the, with President Trump's lists. We've gone through and go, okay, what have they actually said? You know, this is a crazy thing with judges. Or judicial nominees, they usually have a record. They've written opinions. They've volunteered time with social welfare organizations. They've done pro bono hours if they've been attorneys in their past lives. They've associated with organizations, and just on down the list of things that they've written, op eds, etc. Things are there for us to examine. We would be happy to do the same thing with President Biden or Vice President Biden's list as well. Uh, and my guess is what we would find is that. Uh, well, there'd be things on that list, uh, opinions that they've written, and time that they've spent volunteering with other organizations that would make our, well, it wouldn't make my hair curl, but make your hair curl, mm. uh, and make people very concerned about the time that they've given attention to on, on these things.
0: <laughs> it took me a second, but I got yeah, the joke. It, okay. <laughs> um, let me give you one last one here. Um, you, your life's work is, well, your life's work is, is Ernest go to, goes to camp uh, X Naturally, yes. Uh, but your second life's work is wor- working up on religious liberty um, and protecting it. Mm. And it strikes me as like you're in a really interesting position here as you watch this go on the the lead, you know, form of attack against Amy Coney Barrett is her religion. We are in a country where the the Supreme Court is supposed to be protecting these liberties, and yet they're using her religion as an attack to keep her off the court.
1: It's got to be stunning for you to watch. It is absolutely stunning to me. And let's go back to the 1934 comment I made before. That's the last time we had a reliably conservative Supreme Court majority. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that came about right when the New Deal was being put together and you had the court strike down a number of New Deal elements uh, that President Roosevelt had, had put forward. And his response to that was what? Pack the court. Pack the court. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Now we're here again at a potential Supreme Court conservative majority, and we're talking about the potential of the Vice President Biden administration, or the Biden-Harris administration, or the Harris-Biden administration, whichever, whichever one it way. is. Yeah. Uh, they're thinking about packing the court as well. Well, history didn't look kindly upon that. and went back to nine, and we're okay there. Well, what followed after that? Well, not too long after that, you had the rise of JFK, and President Kennedy was roundly criticized, or his opponents detracted from him, for being Catholic. And so we've had this really sordid history of anti-Catholicism in this country. We can go all the way back to the 1860s and the Blaine Amendments of of trying to prevent Catholics from participating in public life. Well, here we are again of having someone's religion being a a question mark. But I think Amy Coney Barrett has said it probably better than anybody. And in a speech she gave to an audience at Hillsdale College in DC, she said, look, I disagree with their premises of whether or not a, a Catholic can put aside their religious beliefs and rule justly. The better question is, can anyone who has a moral belief of any sort, and all of us do, she says, can they lay aside those moral beliefs and judge? Well, they must be able to because since everybody has it, they've been doing it all along Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's the better question here well of course people can put aside their do we really think the pope is going to be pulling the strings from rome saying that she's got to vote this way or that way on an administrative law question i don't think so that's that's not a serious issue at all Uh, but again to bring on someone's religion as a disqualification from office is just absolutely not only bigoted and wrong it's just simply disingenuous where was that concern with uh, a very openly Jewish Justice Ginsburg when she was running or when she was the nominee on things or or any other co- nominee who was a religious person in any sort. Uh, a person's religion ought to be just one factor, at least in considering who the human being is, yeah. not whether or not
0: they're qualified for office. All right. Jeremy Dice, special counsel for First Liberty Institute and host of the First Liberty Briefing podcast. Thanks for coming on the program. Great to see you, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Back in a second. So new developments in the Jacob Blake case. You might remember this case. It was a guy who was shot by police seven times as he was trying to get into a car, uh, and that, of course, led people like Drew Brees to put his name on their helmets. Because um, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I believe it's the first time an NFL player has put the name of an accused rapist on their helmet. Um, of course, many times NFL players have put an accused name of a rapist on their Jersey because, uh, that's, that's happened a couple times in the past, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. Um, Jacob Blake, apparently, uh, and this is relatively interesting. I think, um, one of the officers uh, told the story here uh, arrived at the scene on August 23rd in response to a call from a woman who said Blake was at her home and shouldn't be there. He heard a woman say, he's got my kid. He's got my keys. Um, they told investigators uh, uh, the uh, uh, the police officer told investigators that he opened fire because Blake held a knife in his hand and twisted his body toward the officer and that he didn't stop until he determined Blake no longer posed an imminent threat. Um, the officers said that they had allowed Blake to leave and something happened to the child. The question would have been, why didn't you do something? This is the impossible position police are in. And a lot of people are like, well, they shouldn't have fired us seven times. They could have fired once. Why didn't they use a BB gun? Why not a slingshot? That would have been much more humane. In those moments, that's not what happens, unfortunately. He'd already, they'd already tried the taser. Remember? He kind of walked through the taser. Didn't seem to bother him all that much. Every once in a while that happens. Well, that's, uh, that, that doesn't happen with a gun all that often. Uh, the bystander who recorded the, 22, uh, the shooting, the 22-year-old Sean White, said he saw Blake scuffling with three officers and heard them yell, drop the knife, drop the knife, before gunfire erupted. White said he didn't see a knife in Blake's hands. Um, So that's going on. Uh, That sort of narrative is blowing up a little bit. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has made an endorsement in the presidential race. Aren't you excited about it? I know I never make decisions until I hear from people who are celebrities. If you're famous enough, then you can tell me who I should vote for. That's the rule I use. Honestly, I've been waiting for Vin Diesel's endorsement. I really can't. I think he's going to go Green Party, and that's where I'm going to be casting my vote coming up soon. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, through his support behind Democratic nominee Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., Uh, he, uh, talked to him and Kamala Harris said, uh, as a political independent and centrist for many years, I voted for Democrats in the past, as well as Republicans, uh, in this critical election, I believe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the best to lead our country. And my first ever presidential uh, endorsement, I proudly endorse them as president uh, of the United States. It's interesting. He was actually spoke at a Republican national convention. I want to say it was 2004, with George W. Bush against John Kerry. I remember being there and it being discussed. And at the time, I think he was still like more of a wrestler than a big uh, action star. Apparently now he's uh, gonna be voting for Joe Biden. A lot of people have talked to him in sort of that fantasy league um, presidential candidate thing where like this guy, he was, one day he's gonna run for president. He seems to be making his move into that arena. Um, maybe on the Democratic side, we'll see what happens with that. And one more from California. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law in Saturday requiring California to to house transgender inmates in prison based on their gender identity. Um, Now, he said there is an exception only if the state does not have management or security concerns. How could you not have management or security concerns? You're going to get a guy who just committed a crime and he's going to go to prison and you're going to say, hey, so uh, just which one would you rather go to the men's prison? Or the women's prison. I mean, which one are you, a man or a woman? So you're just going to let a convict tell you he's a woman so he can go to the female prison. This is a good policy. I think it's going to work out really well. I don't foresee any problems with it. I can't think of any. And if you could think of some, you should examine your heart. Because you're a terrible human being and probably a racist. We'll ask Ibram Kendi about it and see if we can get you in that bandwagon. One quick check. Are you white? Because if you are, then you're a racist. Uh, I uh, I don't think this is a good policy. I'm going to go ahead and say, maybe maybe the birth uh, idea is a little bit better. They say there's a problem if like a woman who is born a woman, uh, or a, excuse me, a man who is born a man and becomes a transgendered woman has to go to male prison. Apparently, I'll, that's a problem at the prisons. I don't know what you do with that. Maybe you separate them. Seems like a smaller part of the population, but putting, unleashing male convicts in a female prison seems like a bad idea. Just going to go on record with that right now. If you need any explanation as to why, Gavin, you can call me privately. Back in a second. You know, one of the biggest stories over the past four years is the fact that Donald Trump will not release his tax returns. Oh, my gosh, what a huge controversy that has been. Now, the the New York Times has acquired those tax returns. Let's not ask any questions about how they acquired them. And they're not going to show them to us. Because that might that might give up their sources. So they're just going to tell you they have them and tell you all the things that are in them, and you should believe them. Now, look, I doubt they made any of this stuff up. Uh, let me give you a quick rundown in case you didn't have that. You know, I read these things so you don't have to. I had to read a freaking 40-page story about taxes. You know how much I wanted to kill myself in the middle of it? A lot. More than probably you do watching the show. And that's saying something. Um, so, apparently... Um, 11 of 18 years at the Times got a hold of uh, Donald Trump paid zero dollars in personal income taxes uh, in 2016 and 17. He paid 750 total dollars. Now, if you're like me, you paid a lot more than that. And I guess that's the point of this story is to make you feel annoyed about how Donald Trump who's a billionaire is paying less taxes than you. Um, he paid 72. He got a 72.9 million dollar tax refund, which I have never received a refund that big. Um, but, uh, it was to do with basically him dissolving his interest in a bunch of the casinos as they failed. Instead of him selling his interest, he just dissolved it, which gives you a chance for a big tax write off. There's a big controversy with the IRS because the rule basically says you can't get anything in, in return for that, um, uh, for that uh, dis- dissolving uh, your interest in the business, they will not not give you anything in return. He got something in return for it, I guess five percent of the new company that owned the casinos. So there's a controversy there. He's fighting that in court. When he's been saying all this time, I'm under audit. I'm not going to release them. Now he could have released them, but he is technically under audit and it has been for a while. And this is the thing: seventy-two point nine million dollars is a big refund. The big issue for Don is if they get, if he gets, uh, you know, if they rule against him. He's going to have to pay back the seventy two point nine million dollars he already received from the government and then uh, fees and interest and all the other stuff going to add up to like 100 million bucks. So this would really suck for Don if he has to pay that. Um, We also have uh, they talked about how many of his businesses are constantly losing money. Basically, what it seems like is he gets these this big influx of cash from other things uh, like, for example, The Apprentice. And he made hundreds of millions of dollars off The Apprentice. He was getting 50 percent of the profits on that show. That is not normal for network television. Uh, he got 50 percent of the profits, brought that cash in, spent it on things like Trump Doral and all of these big golf courses. And those golf courses continue to lose money. So one of the two things is true. Either he's kind of fudging it to get his taxes lower and they're not really losing money, or all of these places are simultaneously failing, Neither one of which is good, I suppose. Um, He deducted $70,000 in hairstyling for television. Now, I'm on television, and I don't deduct my haircuts. They cost quite a bit less than $70,000, though, I'll tell you that. Um, And the other thing was he... All these big business deals, he seems to have a 20 percent or so a consulting fee on top of it at the end. That is kind of unexplained. There is some evidence that it's like he's got six hundred and twenty two thousand dollars, six hundred twenty two thousand three hundred and seven dollars in consulting fees. And at the same time, Ivanka Trump just has a line of six hundred and twenty two thousand three hundred and seven dollars in consulting uh, revenue which the accusation being basically he's just paying his kids uh, and avoiding gift taxes uh, through these things. Look, you can look at all this stuff. There's some interesting things in there. But what I will say is this. It changes exactly zero minds. There is, I mean, precisely, I can give you the exact number, zero. If you look at Donald Trump and you say, I'm bothered by this sort of stuff, You're already off the bandwagon. If you look at Donald Trump and say, look, I'm looking what he does as president. I don't care what his taxes look like. You're already on the bandwagon with the guy. I don't think it changes anybody's mind. It's you know, there's a poll that came out. that says 13 percent of voters could uh, could say the presidential debate could change their minds. That is a big deal. Right. 13 percent undecided voters could be a big deal. Zero percent for the tax story. That's why tomorrow we're going to do coverage of the debates and not the tax story. It really doesn't make a difference in the grand scheme of thing. But if you want to bore yourself with 40 pages of tax stories, go to The New York Times now. Back in a second. OK, tomorrow night is big. We've got the debate. You've got to come here. 8 p.m. Eastern, come to my YouTube channel. You can watch the show. We're going to have Glenn Beck on, Pat Gray, Steve Dace, preview the entire debate leading right up to debate start time. Then the debate uh, starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. OK, from nine to 1030, the debates will be going to be going on. You can watch it with us. Uh, we're going to be sitting on a couch. You'll get to watch the whole debate. You won't miss anything. We aren't going to be talking over it the whole time. You get to, to check that out. It's going to be pretty cool from uh, nine to 1030. We're just going to give a little some live fact checks, maybe make some jokes about uh, Joe Biden. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be a cool way to kind of watch the show with friends, basically. Then at 1030, we're back on the blaze for a, a post debate wrap-up show. All of it's going to be on my YouTube channel. So if you happen to have any friends, if you happen to have a social media following of 12 million or more, this is a good time to share Stu's YouTube channel with your audience. Let them know that this is going to be a great show tomorrow. Um, uh, you got to make sure you check it out. And you can get your Notorious ACB shirt. This is the big one. Notorious ACB. This is a huge nomination. We can't miss it. I'm pretty sure if we sell enough shirts that she'll be a good justice. That's just what I've heard from the court people. The court people tell me these things. We'll see you tomorrow night.